Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping this on Thanksgiving Eve. Stu, before we talk about the CFP latest rankings and a bunch of other stuff, um, a very important member of the college football media and the Alabama family passed away, uh, Cecil Hurt. Uh, you and I both know him, and we didn't know him the way our colleague Aaron Suttles did. Uh, he had a, wrote a very uh, beautiful tribute to his mentor and close friend. I want to ask you um, what, you're, what you'll think of most and remember most fondly about Cecil Hurt. I think I'll, I'll remember, first of all, it was really, just really sad to, we, we had, you know, there were indications that he wasn't doing well. He'd been in the hospital for a few weeks, but still, when I saw the, Aaron's tweet um, that he had died, it was really one of those, you know, where you're just like, kind of, you have to stop and think and, and really uh, process it. Um, just every time, look, I've, because of Nick Saban, I've covered a lot of Alabama games over the last decade plus. And of course, Cecil was always there. And usually, frankly, was one of the first people I would see when I stepped foot in the press box. You know, he, I think he really enjoyed uh, talking to the out of town media when they came through. Uh, we always had good conversations. And of course, um, and, and Aaron mentioned this in his column, the, the internet has kind of, for the most part, uh, made it. So everybody's an expert and everybody's an authority, uh, regardless of where they're located, but there was no question like, all right, up until the end, Cecil was the authority on Bama in that market. Yeah. I, I, again, like you, what you said, I mean, it was unique because we've all spent in the national media so much time around Alabama, especially at the playoff because because they've been so dominant and he is the dean of that beat and i can't uh, really imagine uh going to an alabama game walking the press box and him not being there right i mean he was such an institution for that unlike i mean there's a handful of other writers who've been on beats for long long periods of time um not sure any probably that i can think of on such a prominent beat have been there as long as he was so, and it was pretty touching and uh, to read so many different layers. Obviously there was, there was Aaron's, but there were so many other people who had some kind of interaction with him in one way or other, whether they knew him for years or like, you know, in the case of our colleague, Dana O'Neill on the college basketball side, her daughter's a student there. And I don't think she knew Cecil all that well, but he was going to, to be a, be a resource if the family ever needed anything. I thought that was, you know, it was a really sweet thing. Nick Saban put out a, a really, um, uh, you know, just really touching statement. Um, and, you know, we, we, we know that, well, most football coaches aren't frankly all that fond of the people that cover the team and, and Saban is at least seen as one of those guys, but he was very fond of Cecil. I can remember, being at sec media days a few years ago and coaches usually do like a, or often the coaches will do a, a you know, a, I don't want to call it a secret, but a private session before they go out to the main stage. And it's a bunch of national writers and Cecil. Uh, in fact, Cecil was already in there. So 
he clearly trusted and respected him. So um, all our, our deepest condolences to Cecil's family and friends and everybody in that media market and also just Alabama football fans who have been reading him for, you know, in many cases for, for four decades. Um, we are recording this also the morning after the latest playoff rankings I don't think there was anything controversial. Uh, it feels like the controversies have, have, for the most part, gone away. Um, the big, I think the big highlight for people, though, was seeing Cincinnati in the top four, and finally seeming to finally climb that mountain. The only thing is, I was a little surprised at some of the commentary. Kirk Herbstreit comes to mind, others, of like, okay, now they're in the top four. If they went out, they're in. Um, ask 2014 TCU how secure you are. If, if it's possible to get knocked back out of the top four um, by somebody else. I still think I'd be, I'd be really surprised once you're in the top four at this late stage, if they could get knocked out, um, you know, just looking at it this way, East Carolina is a decent team, but they're not going to get a, you know, they're seven and four. If they beat them, they'd be seven and five. I don't think that would give them much of a boost. Obviously Houston's sitting there at 10 and one. That's a different story. At least Houston is now in the top 25, albeit barely at 24. Um, I don't know, Stu. It's like, I think what, what to me is at risk of happening if you're Cincinnati and you're looking at, okay, what could, what could knock us out without us losing? Obviously, they need Georgia to beat Alabama. If Alabama yeah. wins that game, you got two SEC teams going in it. I, I don't, and rightly so, if they were to win that game, um, assuming Alabama does beat Auburn in the Iron Bowl, and they're sitting there at what would amount to be uh, twelve and one, and Georgia's twelve and one, then you have what I would assume would be if it's a one-loss Big Ten team, whether it's Ohio State or Michigan, and then there's Cincinnati. Now the 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 wild card in this is Oklahoma State. I I, I mean. Do you think Oklahoma could leapfrog all the way if they if they won two games in a row, including you know Bedlam? It's a top ten win. You, know, you got Baylor sitting there at eight. I mean, is it possible you think Oklahoma at twelve and one could actually leapfrog Cincinnati? I definitely think Oklahoma State would. Um, you think they would, or you think they could? No, would. I, that's what I don't understand why people aren't. For some reason, Oklahoma State has gotten no attention, no acclaim. Um, at the end of the day, if they beat Oklahoma this week and then they would play Baylor and if they beat them again, you're going to be a 12 and one power five champion with three top 15 wins. That team's not getting left out. Um, that, that no, I don't think the only, there's only been one 12 and one power five champ that didn't get in. It was Ohio state in 2018. And that's was mostly because their loss was that really bad loss at Purdue, whereas Oklahoma State lost one game by a field goal to a decent Iowa State team. So, so you, but, but, okay, but wait a minute now. I hear what you say. Let's remember Cincinnati would be 13 and 0 and they have won at a top 10 team on the road and they have no losses. You would put Oklahoma, if you were on the committee, you would put Oklahoma State over Cincinnati? Yeah, I would, because I think that that's a case where, like, it's different to me if it's, uh, you know, we, the one, the, the possibility that I thought might, you know, that I, I frankly feared was a two-loss Alabama getting in over undefeated Cincinnati. I no longer think that's possible. They're only one spot apart. Like, to me, that would be 
By the way, Oklahoma might not be, if they lose Bedlam, they might not be a top 15 team at that point. They're all, they're 10 now. Yeah, well, there's three Big 12. And the other thing about Oklahoma State is they have the number three defense in the country. You know, at some point, that that's even better than Cincinnati's. Like, at some point, I don't know. It's interesting because I feel like this game of Bedlam, for most fans, for a lot of fans, maybe outside the Big 12, will be their first time seeing Oklahoma State. And in fact, some of Gary Barta's comments last night indicated that, you know, I mean, they're only number seven, that they they still need to be convinced a little bit, uh, especially about their offense. So, but no, I think Oklahoma State is a pretty clear cut one. Oklahoma is a different story. And I don't, uh, it's hard, to, you know, it's hard to imagine because they feels like they've been living on borrowed time all season, how much are perception of them would change if they actually do beat Oklahoma, uh, beat Oklahoma state twice. I kind of feel like it won't be enough because as of this moment, they don't have any top 25 wins. So you would add two. Okay. But is that as convincing a case against undefeated Cincinnati undefeated Cincinnati will have two top 25 wins too. And one of them will be against 11 and one Notre Dame on the road. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's weird to say that. I think most people consider, Oklahoma and Oklahoma state pretty similar in profile. They're really not. Um, but yeah, I, it's crazy to think that if we finally get the first group of five team, that that team would possibly beat out the Oklahoma Sooners who, you know, make the playoff almost every year are, are a blue blood of blue bloods. But this season, the committee has never really been on their bandwagon. They're 10 and one and they're ranked behind a, I think it's pretty telling that they're 10 and one and they're ranked behind a two loss Ole Miss team that got blown out by Alabama. Um, that tells you how down they are on them. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm, I'd be skeptical that Oklahoma state, even at 12 and one would leapfrog undefeated Cincinnati. If they're 13 and zero and one in South bend by double digits, poor Oklahoma state. They got many people think they got jobbed in 2011 when they had a team like this and, and Alabama got in without winning its division to the BCS. And then, Boy, if they got passed over for their, not just a group of five team, but a, one of their future. Think about that. If the big 12 champion gets left out in favor of one of the schools that they, uh, they have finally invited to their conference, but, but thumb their nose at in the past, that would, that would be something. What I really want to focus on with you is the topic that I, it's interesting. I can just tell from all the emails we get, the emails I get from the mailbag, the people are, seem to be much more fascinated by the coaching carousel than the actual games on the field and, and the result, you know, the, the playoff race. And that's obviously, I think in part, because there's so many big jobs open. So this coming Sunday, Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend in the past has been the day that everything goes down. The difference being people aren't waiting schools aren't waiting that long to fire their coaches anymore. So I don't know how much drama there will be on Sunday, but I would imagine some of these jobs could start getting filled. Um, almost as soon as some of these teams play their last game on Saturday. So let's kind of go, we're not going to be able to hit all of them, but of the prominent one, I'm just going to ask you flat out. I'm going to say a school and you tell me if you are a betting man, who ends up being the coach at this point, okay. starting with as a precursor, as a precursor to this. Yeah. As a precursor to this. So I did my 33 coaches to know. Um, I think the story went up uh, Monday at, for the carousel. The number one guy is Luke Fickle. And I think obviously he's a guy that USC's AD hired when he was at Cincinnati. Here's the thing. Now that Luke Fickle is, at least I think, barring something unforeseen, 
his team's going to be in the playoff. This isn't a case of like a coordinator or a position coach. Like you can't like be in the mix for another job. And I'm not saying he is, you know, but like you're kind of off the board at that point. Yep. Till till mid-January. You're not so. worried at all that Cincinnati on Black Friday in Greenville uh, in front of a half empty stadium. I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're going to turn out because it's the number four team in the country. That's not an upset trap kind of game for you. It could be. I mean, it could be. They've done. They have. A, they have a nice team, but no, I don't. I don't think they're. I. I don't think they're getting derailed. I think they. They see the. They see the light at the end of this tunnel. If they play the way they did against SMU in these next two games, they're. They're going undefeated, right? It's just they haven't been quite that consistent all year. Anyway, I agree. If they're in the playoff, Luke Fickle's off the board. Um, he may already be off the board for all we know. He may be. Uh, negotiating his own James Franklin to, by the way, that was, that was something uh, that the season long, will he, or will, will he, or won't he ends with uh, Jimmy Sexton getting James Franklin, his own Jimbo Fisher type deal, which at the beginning, you know, when they were five and oh, you would have said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense when they're where they are now in 11 and nine going back to last season. I think some people are like, is that really, are they, aren't they negotiating them against themselves? At this point, um, but I digress. All right, LSU. LSU. This is honestly, it's the biggest job probably out there, and it is the biggest wild card. Um, you know, we've heard Jimbo Fisher say, you know, multiple times, especially really adamantly last week. Like, if Jimbo Fisher ever showed up as the LSU head coach, I th- <laughs> he would, you know, he's already making a fortune. I could not imagine what, how, like what people would say about him just in terms of deception and lying or whatever. So let's say that that is not, let's say that that ship has sailed. He is adamantly, he's not taking the job, no matter how much Scott Woodward swings at him. That's that. Um, Once you get past that and thinking they cannot get Lincoln Riley, start looking around. You're like, Ooh, what are the options going to be here? Right. So now I've heard that Scott Woodward is, is, very, very impressed by what Mark Stoops has done. Um, I don't know. Mark Stoops has done a really nice job at Kentucky. I still have a hard, a little bit of a hard time thinking that would be the guy that LSU ends up hiring, you know, not because he's not done a really good job. It's just, I don't know. You know, it's like he's sitting there. If they somehow to lose to Louisville, which is possible, you know, as much, as much goodwill as he's built up, he's eight and four. Um, the flip side is like, you know, there's another coach I think is really good. Matt Campbell, he's sitting there at six and five, you know, so I don't have a good answer for you on this, Stu, to be honest. I really don't. I think Mark Stoops is a really good coach. I think that the, the thing is when you fire Ed Ogeron halfway through the season and pay all that money and, and spend, you know, what is it? A month and a half. Everybody's waiting. Okay. What what um, huge name is Scott Woodward going to unveil to us? And it's Mark Stoops. People are going to feel a little underwhelmed. Uh, in fact, I don't even know. What would be interesting is what they is, is look, I understand why things went south with Coach O, but the guy did win a national championship. And at some point, there are certain coaches that if they came in, you'd have to legitimately say, are we sure LSU upgraded? Like if Mark Stoops got the job, would you be? Oh, yeah. No wonder they fired Ogeron. They were able to get him. I wouldn't just to be clear. I wouldn't feel that way. 
Yeah, I don't know what 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 decision you know he's ultimately go with. But again, like you said, the guy won a national title less than two years ago, and he's one of them, and they pulled the plug. So I don't know. I mean, you and I have talked, you know, a little bit about Lane Kiffin's situation. It is a kind of an awkward situation, quite honestly. The Mark Stoops is in the conference. You know, look, he's beaten both LSU and Florida. Although I'm not sure how much you know, these are not good LSU and Florida teams. So. We'll He's see. shown well, the biggest thing Mark Stoops has shown is he can build a program and sustain it. So whereas Ogeron built this amazing team in 2019 and then the whole thing fell apart, you know, like that um, Stoops has been consistent. It was a gradual build, but since he's done it, they've been very consistent. They're going to go to, you know, you don't necessarily. Um, Excuse me. One, one thing on that though. Yeah. Um, I agree with what you said largely. Keep in mind, Ed Ogeron actually had a better record than Mark Stoops did last year. Mark Stoops was five and six last year. I think well, last thinking, year was the year where you played only SEC teams. And yeah, but I'm yeah, just saying went, LSU was 500. Kentucky was below 500. LSU didn't play in a bowl, but yes, they they finished five and five. I believe Kentucky finished the regular season four and six. Now you could say that they're not being graded on the same curve necessarily. Um, they're not. Yeah. I'm just saying you're talking about build and sustain it. And one guy just went four and six, you know, in the regular season last year, last year was so deceiving. I mean, if, if Kentucky plays their usual schedule of three, nobodies and, and uh, Louisville, they probably go eight and four. Right. So of course, if LSU plays their normal <laughs> schedule, they <laughs> you're probably talking go yourself eight. in circle. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of have, I, if that's what it ends up being, so be it. But uh, I, I kind of feel like after all this buildup, he surely Woodward has some, you know, this is the guy that, that was able to, you know, um, get Buzz Williams to A&M and uh, Chris Peterson to leave Boise. Kim Mulkey, that might be the biggest one of all. Kim Mulkey, national championship coach at Baylor, multiple national championship coach at Baylor, leaves this far into her tenure there to come to LSU. So you just think like he must have somebody like that lined up, but maybe, you know, maybe not. Uh, USC. USC. Um, my gut right now, as it's been for a couple of months, I know they had very uh, quite a bit of interest in Dave Aranda. Does Dave Aranda want to leave and go back to Southern California? Um, I think there's some, some, some legit interest in Matt Campbell. Um, I don't know if they would try to, try to see if either a Kalani Satake or even Kyle Whittingham would be interested. I couldn't, I just couldn't see Kyle Whittingham want, you know, like coaching at USC the way USC is set up right now though. And I also think he knows it's a big rebuild because he's plays them every year. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, like these are, these are, these are like jobs where I think, especially in the case of USC, um, you know, nothing would surprise you with USC. Wouldn't surprise you if they hired like Hugh Jackson. What? No. Where did that name come from? I'm just saying it's like, it's USC, you know. I did notice that, okay, Antonio Morales, a uh, really good idea. He interviewed 16 parents of current USC players of who they would want as the coach. And there was a lot of Luke Fickle uh, in there. But, you know, one of them said Jeff Fisher. It's like Jeff Fisher has, has been, is somehow the, the, um, the, the, you know, 
the USC white whale. What is baffling? Jeff Fisher was a good NFL coach, though. And he was like, at least in that regard. If you were getting Jeff Fisher from 10 years ago, you know, that might make more sense. I don't think that's who, I don't know. I don't think that's who the kind of coach Mike Bone has in mind. That's the old school USC, Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan type thinking, don't you think? I would tend to think so, yes. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Florida, to me, it's, you know, you, you, you never know, but I feel like Billy Napier's name, that's the, you know, we figured this could be a year for Billy Napier to make the jump. And suddenly, once that job came open, that's the one that you feel like makes the most sense for him. Yeah, I have heard there's interest in him from Virginia Tech as well. Maybe Florida scrambles to get him. I think I don't want to speak for you, but I think we both agree. Hey, that's a pretty good hire. You know, I, he, I think that would be a really good hire. Yeah. I know people have said, well, this feels there's some feel a little bit like Jim McElwain because it's a former Saban assistant who came from group of five. I think his personality is different from Jim McElwain's. I'm not saying Jim McElwain's not a grinder too, but I do feel like it's a little different. There's no guarantees he would, he'll, he'll turn into urban Meyer there and have wild amounts of success. But um, I'd be curious to see how he'll do there. There's never any guarantee that a group of five coach is going to, I mean, I would have thought for sure Tom Herman would, would do well. Um, Scott Frost. Scott Frost is the one I got wrong the most. But I mean, the guy over the last three seasons, Louisiana is 11 and three, 10 and one, 10 and one, 10 and one. They finished 10 and one last year. They're 10 and one right now, probably on their way to, uh, well, I don't know that Appalachian state conference championship will be a tough game, but at the end of the day, you know, that's three years of, of, of high level success. Um, though in hindsight, maybe they should have won that Texas game. I'm sure. I'm sure if he could do it over again, he would have liked to have tried to win it a little more. Um, Washington, Washington, Dave Aranda's name, I think is a candidate. I think Joe Moorhead, uh, Jay Norvell, I think there's some support for Matt Campbell and maybe some support for Justin Wilcox. Let's talk about Matt Campbell for a second. You know, I feel like for two years, he's been the, you know, the guy who is so respected. He's basically just going to pick his spot and he's going to be picky and et cetera. They have not had a great season this year. Um, it's, it's still a decent season by Iowa state historical standards, but after what they did last year and everybody is coming back, we certainly thought they would be better than seven and four right now. Um, no, they're six and five, six and five, they're six right and now. five with TCU. Now they, their one win was actually, it's a top 10 win over your Oklahoma state Cowboys, but there's been a bunch of close losses lost at Oklahoma by seven lost at Texas tech on that 62 yard field goal lost at West Virginia by seven lost at Baylor by two and lost to Iowa uh, at home by yeah team. it feels to me like they kind of hit their ceiling last year you know Brock Purdy has not necessarily gotten better as a quarterback Brees Hall is really good 
The defense is a very veteran defense, but for whatever reason has not risen to that level this year. And for all those reasons, I feel like, well, for those reasons and another really big one, which is the um, changes to the big 12, I feel like this is his time to move. And so it's just, it, you know, if you were a betting man right now, if you said, okay, Matt Campbell is going to be at a different school next year, which school would you guess it is? I, oof, I think he's in play at both USC and Washington. If I both of those guess, would make a lot of sense. Um, and, and he frankly, I could be wrong. Seems like the kind of guy who might choose Washington over USC. Yeah, he does actually. I think I wonder that too. I don't have a good answer for that. Um, I think Which would you be more surprised by? Matt Campbell is the coach of USC next year. Matt Campbell is the coach of Iowa State next year. Which would I be surprised at if Matt Campbell is still at the coach at Iowa State or he's someplace else? Yeah. I would bet the field. Yeah, I would too. I, I just unless people have just totally lost interest in him, it seems like all this this is the moment to move to make that move. Um, so the only thing, the only thing, and I'm not saying this is the only thing that would make me wonder well, why, why he might stay. If you're a coach who has, who for, for whatever reason has Nebraska as your like dream job, you might want to stay one more year. Do you think Matt Campbell has Nebraska as his dream? No, job? I think I'm, not, I'm not saying that, job. but I'm just like, cause otherwise you're going to have so many opportunities. There is simply not enough quality or proven coaches to fill most of these jobs. Right. Yeah. I, I think this is the market is very much tilted this year toward the Luke Fickles, the Matt Campbell's they, they may have their pick of multiple schools. So if he doesn't make that move now and let, let's say, let's say he doesn't make that move. Now he comes back next year and they go seven and five again. And, and now there's not all these big name schools open. Maybe Nebraska is, but you can't really count on that. So I think it would be, this is his window is what I guess what I'm saying. Um, Virginia tech. Uh, I would have thought it's battle between Billy Napier and I think Jamie Chadwell, Marcus Freeman. You know how I feel about Chadwell. I know I you're, you're going to Blacksburg to have those chocolate chip cookies or whatever they are that Andy was, Andy was, was uh, opine, not opine. Let me, let me ask you, you know, I read it. Andy has a great story about Chadwell and how they've been doing these like post-game parties back since he was in division two. If they had lost their game the other day and I don't even remember who they played, like what would they have done with Joey Chestnut and all those pizzas? <laughs> the pizzas would just go to waste. Maybe they would have said, look, Joey, we know you have a voracious appetite. You better sit here and eat them all because you're the jinx. <laughs> Dig the in. Most, Joey. <laughs> eat, eat till your heart's discontent. Do we think TCU Sonny Dykes is basically a done deal? I do. Yeah, I do too. Um, and I think, by the way, that's another one where, you know, we just talked about how realignment, the, 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 the you know, negative repercussions may, may affect a, a, a Matt Campbell's decision. I think once SMU got left out of the uh, group that moved to the Big 12 and the conference that they're in, the AAC, was not able to really upgrade, if anything, downgrade. Um, if you're Sonny Dykes and you have the chance to go to a Power 5 school, you're going to do it. So um, kind of going to the other side of the iron skillet. Interesting. How do you think he would do there? 
I think he would do terrific there. I mean, he's good in the state of Texas. I think he knows what that place is about because he did spend time on Gary Patterson's staff. Um, I think that's an, honestly, that's an easy one. I'd be surprised if he didn't do really, really well. Cause he's, he's a good offensive coach. I think he's, he's shown he's a good leader, especially when he's very comfortable. And I think he's very comfortable there. Washington state. I think they keep Jake Decker, Jake Decker, Jake Dickert as their, he's the acting head coach. Now I know he's impressed the people inside the, inside the university with a lot of things he's done, how the team has responded, how he's handled things. Uh, my guess is he will end up keeping the job. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. And especially if they win the Apple Cup this week, I think Washington State fans, frankly, would welcome it. Um, so that would at least be one less domino out there. All right. Um, jobs that could come open after this weekend. Obviously, the first one that comes up to mind is Miami. Do you expect it to open? And if so, who are they going to get or try to uh, get? Uh, I suspect it probably will come open. Mm-hmm. Um, now remember they got an AD search. They have to get, get, get going. Um, it's complicated right now. I think if the people around South Florida make it known, Hey, we really think we can bring, we can lure Mario to come back here. I think no matter, you know, no matter what happens with Manny Diaz, they're going to make a change. Okay. I think if they, if they do not get that strong sense and there's enough people there around Miami who I think would be able to to uh, have a and keep in mind two of the guys I think who are legit candidates for the AD job. One is Alonzo Highsmith, former like legendary player at Miami knows everybody there. The other one is Gino Toretta, uh, Heisman trophy winner. Gino is one of Mario Cristobal's old teammates. I think they will have enough Intel to know where that stands. Now, if they couldn't get Mario, I think there's enough people at UM who are very intrigued with the idea of Lane Kiffin being their head coach. And they say, Hey, we're going to roll with it. And I think Lane would have a hard time saying no to Miami. I know he was enamored with that job when he was an assistant coach. A lot has changed since then. I'm not sure he would look at it and go, well, it's basically all I got to do is compete with Clemson in this, in this conference. And I know the talent around there for those two reasons. That's why I think Miami will end up making a change. Cause I think they know yeah, if we can't get Mario, we could probably get lane. You, so lane, you think would leave the sec where I feel like he's really, you know, become a, a fixture, if you will, a personality for Miami. I'd be surprised if he said, no, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Stu. Um, the only time Ellis or Ole Miss has had much, much success there, they've either gotten on probation or it's not gotten very far in, in within like the last 50 years, Miami people have won national titles there and they've won a bunch of them. You can get players there and he knows all the talent that's in the South Florida. Obviously he coached at FAU. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the state of Florida. I don't think he's saying no to that, to stay in Oxford. From come to the FAU to come to the U. I do. It would be, that would be a, a, a huge win for Miami, frankly. He's about to, if they win the Egg Bowl this week, it'll be the first 10, 10 win regular season in Ole Miss history. Um, and then you're going to a place where, I mean, he's such a great recruiter. He certainly knows that, that state. Um, I just, it would be, I know it's been 17 years or so of misery for Miami and going through 
you know, they thought Mark Rick could do it. They thought Manny Diaz was could do. It. They thought Randy Shannon could do it back in the day. I'm fairly confident Lane would would get that would get them going in the right direction. Is there any finally? Is there any? You know, I think a tradition of that Sunday after Thanksgiving is there's always at least one that comes open that you're like, whoa, I didn't even know that guy was on the hot seat. Um, I'm thinking of Todd Graham when ASU fired Todd Graham. I'm thinking of there was the year NC state fired Tom O'Brien. It was like, really? Um, any possibility there? Well, you, you hear some, some little whispers about possibly David Cutcliffe stepping down at Duke. And that's one that comes up. Um, I feel like that's almost expected at this point. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> we'll have to see what happens, how this stuff at ASU plays out. I know Matt Zenitz, who's a very good reporter at on three has reported that he thinks, or he's hearing that they're going to keep Herm. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that's not true, but I think that's one to, to definitely keep an eye on. Um, the thing about Herm that I've never quite, you know, people who assume they're going to fire him, are they assuming they're going to fire him for performance or for the NCA stuff, because if it's the NCA stuff, you really got to let that play out. You can't just assume. Uh, I mean, you—that's uh, wrongful termination suits have been won over uh, schools that fired a coach while the investigation was still ongoing. And as you know, with the NCA, who knows how long that could take another year to, for that whole thing to wind through. It could. Now the inter- interviews are going on now. Um, I don't know how much documentation, like. This isn't. This is the whatever 2021 version of the NCA. It's not like they're going to show their their homework to the president of ASU and no. say, "What are you going to do about this?" This is not how the NCA operates. Even though they have squeezed out three lower level assistants, and it seems like there's a line of former staffers willing or ready to to um, kind of hold. ASU and Herms and maybe some other people high up there's feet to the fire. I don't know. I don't know how that, how that part plays out. If they're still just interviewing people now, it's probably going to be months. They've been interviewing Stu. They've been interviewing Stu. uh, They've been interviewing people, Stu, for like five months now or four. I know, but then, you know, like all the steps right now that you first, you need a notice of allegations. Then it has to go before the committee. Like, there's not going to be a resolution on that anytime soon. No, I don't think there is on that either. What um, I could see though is her stepping down. Stepping down. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, look, if you're Arizona State, there's a very good chance that they're going to beat Arizona to go to eight and four. That would be their second eight win season. And basically, last year is a two and two. It's hard to read much into anything because it was such a small season. But they're not firing him for performance, right? That's. Probably not, even though I think this has been a disappointing season to the fans. And they won eight games. You're Arizona State. It's not like, you know, Jake, the Jake Plummer. You won eight I mean, games in this year's Pac-12. You know, they felt like this was their chance. And look, I, I, I don't know what I can. I don't even know their personnel well enough to know, like, who's coming back next year or whatnot. But they, they felt like this was their chance to go to the Pac-12 title game at the very least. And, you know, it, it wasn't like... Um, you know, it wasn't a murderer's row of teams they had to play. They lost, you know, to Washington State at home badly. Um, they scored 10 points at Oregon State last week. I would say it's been a disappointing season. Okay. 
But uh, it's not a, not a just not like a you you screwed up so bad we have to fire you. I mean, I think if the NCA stuff wasn't happening, that would be not even a consideration. But you know, between the two, it just feels like that program is um, yeah, just I don't know, kind of. What's what's like this one step? I don't want to say dumpster fire, but whatever one step below dumpster fire is. Uh, tire it's like, fire. It's just a mess. It's a big mess. All right. Should we get to the mailbag? Let's do it. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. All right, Stu, this question is from Augie Rizzo. Stu and Bruce, longtime listener, love the show and all your work. I'm a Notre Dame fan and happy that the team is always in the discussion for the CFP. I can easily accept if they are left out this year. However, can you explain the position the committee might take about 12th versus 13th game? Some of the teams have two or three handpicked non-conference cupcake scrimmages every year. This does not include automatic wins like Kansas, this year excluded, Vandy, et cetera. It's more honest to say Notre Dame pays the non-conference tax. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that it's not about how many games you played because frankly, I think half the games these teams play, the committee doesn't even really, it doesn't even come up. Um, They're not, they don't care one way or the other about your FCS games or your Vandy game or whatnot. It's they're measuring you based on the, the, the better teams you played in Notre Dame's case. I do think it's a disadvantage that they don't play in a conference championship game um, because that is one more chance for, like we talked about the big 12 teams. That is one more chance for right now, Oklahoma state's below Notre Dame. All those teams are below Notre Dame, but they're going to have a chance on whoever gets there on December 4th to add another quality win. Um, Notre Dame doesn't get that chance and they could especially use it this year because it's not like they've played four top 25 teams, right? It, it, I think right now, Wisconsin may end up being the, the only one. So, well, they have Cincinnati, but they didn't beat them, but you're looking at their right. schedule. And unfortunately for them, uh, you have Navy who's been awful this year. They're two and eight. Georgia tech is three and eight Stanford, your uh, neighborhood team, they're three and eight. Yeah, both Stanford and USC stink. Usually those are terrible count teams. On one of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and they really stink. You know, like, I mean, USC is bad. Stanford is way worse. Georgia Tech is really bad. As we said, Navy is really struggling. I mean, Toledo is not having a great year. They're a 500 team. So I think, and Florida State is, is struggling and they had their hands full of Florida State. So I think that's kind of what you're up against a little bit. The 11th hour debate that would be uh, like intolerable, but would be really interesting to see how they played it, how they decided it would be 11 and one Notre Dame against 11 and two Alabama. Um, You know, the two schools that probably fans most hate and would most want to see get like, who, who would they root for in that situation? I don't even know, but my guess is, is Alabama would get in um, Yeah, because Alabama quality wins. Yeah, they have the Ole Miss win. And quite honestly, I think Alabama would get a big benefit of the doubt because when they've been in the playoff, they've responded well. When Notre Dame has been this, it hasn't gone well. That's one of those ones. I know you hate this, but we would say like if those two teams played on a neutral field, who would win? And everybody would say Alabama. Yeah, probably so. All right. uh, Back to the coaching carousel from Bill in Cleveland. Stu and Bruce just finished listening to the podcast. While you were talking about the coaching carousel, you brought up the usual big big suspects, including Luke Fickle, Billy Napier, and even potentially Irwin Meyer. How come there isn't more talk about successful FCS coaches making the jump to FBS? Do ADs not find them to be a sexy enough hire? 
Are the successful FCS coaches just happy where they are? Certainly there's a big jump from top level FCS to even group of five, let alone power five, but there are coaches at the FCS level that can recruit, which is what matters most. It's a great question, Bruce, because when you think about it, Ohio State hired Jim Trestle when he was an FCS coach. And I feel like a, certainly a program of that magnitude would never do that today. It's interesting because Miami got turned down, or Jim Trestle turned down Miami uh, before he took the Ohio State job. I think so that's that, probably a good choice. That was a unique situation for him now. The only um, one recently was, uh, you know, Kansas State hired Chris Kleiman. Yeah, Chris Kleiman. Now you do have an even further drop. Lance Leipold won national titles in D3, and he did a really good job at Buffalo. And I think anybody who's paying attention knows he was a good hire for Kansas. Yeah. I mean, and D3 is a way bigger jump than, than that. But there are guys, especially out of that Missouri Valley, I think you've seen a few coaches. Like, remember, uh, Paul Wolf came from FCS and got a Power 5 job. He got Washington State. It did not go well. Um I know there's there's a few more than that. It's usually it's usually uh, FCS to G five. You know, right. Bobby Hauk did that at. You know, I I mean, there's there's definitely a bunch of examples of it. It's Craig just Bull not very common. Wyoming, Craig Bowl at Wyoming. That was a good hire. Um, so we've seen it out of the Missouri Valley probably more. I feel like we've seen it a little out of the Southern Conference. What's interesting is there are a lot of really good coaches who have like CAA roots, not the the agency like. The colonial, you know, that's where Pat Narduzzi had been there and Chip Kelly, they coached against each other from, you know, there. There's a lot of good coaches. Dave Clawson had been through there. Mike Elko has been through there. It's that place, you know, that league has produced a lot of really, really good coaches. It's just usually it's the the big jump from there to it. Um, I wonder if the, just, just throwing this out there, if the money has changed things where if you're, you know, going to hire a new coach and the expectation is that the coach at that particular school, like the ones we talked about earlier, will be making five, six million dollars, that that's a huge jump for an FCS coach. And it, you, you're not going to, you know, you, you just don't, you're not sure enough about an FCS coach making that jump to hand over that amount of money and all the guarantees and everything that comes with it. What is it like? Chris Kleiman's going to be buying limos? And, and, no, and I mean, I mean, no, I mean, like, I don't know if it were. It's just you. You think it's the, even more of a gamble now because there's more yeah. higher stakes. Because then, if you if it's a disaster, you're going to pay fifteen, twenty million to have to buy them out. Um, whereas if Akron hires an FCS coach and it doesn't work out, it's not a. There's there's not as much at stake there. I I'm just saying this off the top of my head. I could be totally wrong. Um, I don't know. People have hired NFL, NFL coaches, you know, like, and, you know, Notre Dame hired Charlie Weiss. He'd never been a college coach. And they, I mean, I'd rather, him a fortune. yeah, there's, there's been some hires. I mean, Colorado state, frankly, would have been better off hiring FCS coach than the coach that they hired for one, you know, some of those really, uh, dumbfounding ones. Um, I would guess the ripple effect this because there's going to be so many, jobs that come open and, and the dominoes at play that you will see some FCS coaches get hired at the group of five level, but power five would surprise me. Okay. Next question from Ben Gerber. It's a little on the same tone of this, Stu. Uh, 
question. Would you rather have the power five coaches from the state of Mississippi, Leach and Lane Kiffin, or the ones from the state of Oregon, Mario Cristobal and Jonathan Smith? Great little tag team, little tag team thing. I know who I'd pick in a tag team fight in, in this. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Um, I think I'd go Kiffin and Leach because of, and I think Jonathan Smith's done a fantastic job at Oregon State, so I'm not, you know, dismissing him. But you know, with Kiffin and Leach, longer track record, especially with Leach, um, frankly, doing better at Mississippi State than I necessarily expected. Um, and of those four guys, I know Mario Cristobal has taken Oregon to a Rose Bowl, um, to turned around FIU. Uh, so I don't want to dismiss that, but of the four, you could argue that the most proven one at this point is Leach. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, given what he did at Texas tech, very good question from Ben Gerber. Um, it's hard not you, to think of which it. Which one a, are you, which side are you taking? I don't know. You know, like Jonathan Smith's done a really nice job at Oregon state and you, you listed what Mario's done. Um, I don't know. I, I I guess you could say there might be more upside with the Oregon pair. Like those are both coaches that feel like they're on the rise, although Kiffin is as well. Yeah. I mean, Leach is obviously a lot older and has, has, has been in coaching as a head coach, you know, is longer by himself than, than probably the two Oregon guys have combined. So, um, I don't know. I mean, if you were to ask me to rank those coaches in terms of upside, I would go the Oregon guys might have the one and four and or maybe the one and three. I don't, you know, I don't know. Mike's uh, Leach has done a really good job at Mississippi state. I mean, he just has, he's done better this year than I thought he would, to be honest. Um, I was a little surprised to see they are favored in the egg bowl. I'm surprised by that too. Uh, there's, there's actually been a couple of like things where I'm like, am I reading this wrong? Like last week, my upset special was Louisiana to beat Liberty. And I'm like, why is Liberty favored in this? The one that surprised me last week was Florida was an eight and a half point favorite at Missouri (laughs) amidst the, the, you know, raging dumpster fire at Florida. I picked Missouri straight up and, and granted it took a two point conversion, but glad that I did. Do this last question from Drew in Kiowa Island, South Carolina. Hey, fellas, fun two weeks coming ahead. I'm wondering the possibility of two group of five teams making the New Year's Six this year. If Cincinnati is ranked top four and loses a close game to Houston in the AAC title game, isn't there a possibility Cincinnati could still get a New Year's Six at large in addition to the guaranteed group of five highest rated conference champion? That would either be likely UTSA, San Diego State, or Houston at that's at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, if Cincinnati goes into the game number four, I don't think if they lose, I wouldn't think they would drop eight spots for losing to a top twenty-five team. So as long as they stay in the top ten, then I would think they would go. Uh, and then probably Houston would be the highest-ranked group of five champions. They'd get a, a big bump from that win. So. Um, what that would mean is the group of five team this year is supposed to go to the Fiesta Bowl. I don't know how they would decide if there were two of them, which one went to the Fiesta Bowl. The other one would go to the Peach Bowl. And some really highly ranked team would be left. I think uh, probably right now I've got both Michigan and Michigan State in there. Probably one of them falls out uh, because there aren't a lot of at-large spots this year. There's three. No, four. Yeah, three. 
because group of five takes up one of the four. So Notre Dame, we assume will be one uh, unless they go to the playoff and, you know, the, the sugar bowl has to take sec, big 12, the pac 12 has to, the Rose bowl has to take big 10 pac 12. So if you get two or fives in there, there's not a lot of room for everybody else. All right. Thanks always for your questions and send them to the audible at gmail.com and happy Thanksgiving. And we happy will Thanksgiving, see you everybody next time. Thank you.